got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. 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 Good trash genre cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? You want to know? Look at these scars. Can you spell it? D J A N G O. The D is silent. I have got to give me one of these. You're a wolf. What are these? What are you doing with these? Okay, I get it. Are these Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? I learned it from you. Okay. I learned it from watching you. Beats. We can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. Last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you done this before? It's getting late. Remember. You wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you'll never discuss in Film Studies course using film studies style analysis. This week's film is Jack Reacher, which is a film about Dobby the House Elf, and we'll talk more and more about that here in just a little Doing bit. Doing some sweet gun foo. There's lots of gun kata that happens in this film, in spite of my disdain for that particular film. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but before Fuck we get you. any further, we've got to identify the disembodied voices that you're hearing right now. To my left, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon. Well, nobody said whore. She inferred hooker, but I meant slut. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the best quote in this movie. It's really funny. Yes, it's really funny and troubling. But it's troubling. It's but very it's troubling. Hilarious. But it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, to my right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and oh, is a gun. I don't understand. my name is dustin sells and remember you wanted this and we're going to bring this podcast to you uh, right here right now talking about jack reacher now to let you know dear listener this is not a review show it's an analysis show so there will be spoilerific spoiler riches and we will find out just exactly how uh lucius malfoy is massacred by dobby the house elf uh, yes later on through the course of (laughs) our analysis but before that we'll have a quick synopsis from the voice of the cinema slash dollar theater and then we'll have our quick thumbs up thumbs down reviews let's move quickly into that synopsis yeah arthur is sadly not with us today he's once again had to relocate due to his witness protection status so you'll be treated to the dulcet tones of the uh, voice of the dollar theater this week dear listener homicide investigator digs deeper into a case involving a trained military sniper who shot five random victims. It sounds like you're just doing an impression of that guy in the wolf cop movie. I was actually doing an impression of the uh, announcer for the Grindhouse double feature. Oh, yeah. One night only. Gotcha. It's Grindhouse. 
Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know the synopsis of Jack Reacher, not to be confused with Jack Creature. Uh, We are now going to give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and you'll know exactly what we think of this film. I begin with you, Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Well, uh, I want to start out by saying a couple of nice things. Um, I I think the idea of uh, a a real American hero who's never actually lived in America, I I think the idea of Jack Reacher is very interesting. We learned pretty early in the film that his backstory is basically he grew up on army bases, um, foreign army bases, uh, and then entered the army. And the only time he's ever lived in America was when he went to West Point. Um, so he's never been a civilian, and he's never lived in America until um, prior to the events of this film when he became some weird homeless drifter. Uh, so I think that's kind of a cool idea. You know, this this guy who dedicated his life uh, to the United States but's never actually gotten to enjoy any of the freedom we uh purport to hold in such high esteem. Uh, I also like that, that violence means something in this film. Um, I, I, we talk about this a lot on the show, um, particularly myself. I talk a lot about you know my love of action films, but more so my love of action films that actually do a good job uh, of representing that violence has negative consequences sometimes. And, and none of the violence in this film feels you know wanton. Um, Jack Reacher does not care to fight anybody if he doesn't have to. There is that one moment that is probably wanton. Well, there's one moment that is wanton in the course of the story, but it, it, it is a moment that has weight within the story. Are you talking about Sandy? Uh, no, I was talking about the end. The end, yeah. The, the end, it, it feels a bit wanton, and it, that's about the, yeah, the ending of this film, uh, Jack Reacher's final confrontation with Werner Herzog, uh, which is so great. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, that that's interesting but apart from that like jack reacher doesn't like fighting uh he, he try every time he's about to get in a fight uh except in the showdown at the end he, he try you know uh in our new intro you heard that he tries to he's like are you sure you want to do this are you sure you want to fight me okay uh and in the bathroom fight like he tries to end it as quickly and bloodlessly as possible um so i find that interesting uh, i also like that jai courtney gets the shit kicked out of him in this movie because i can't stand jai courtney as an actor um <laughs> Hollywood keeps trying to convince me he's the next big thing, and every time I see him in something, he just bothers me to no end. Mm. It was one of the things that had me the least excited about Terminator Genesis was that Jai Courtney was going to be Kyle Reese. I just, I just don't care for this guy. I don't know what it is, um, but seeing he works well as a villain because I don't find him particularly likable, <laughs> and seeing Tom Cruise kick the shit out of him was pretty great. Um, other than that, uh, well. And obviously, lest we forget, the main bad guy is played by Werner Herzog, which is amazing. Uh, Herzog doesn't do a lot of acting. Um, so, Dustin, can you? Th- I, you're, you're more of a Herzog expert than I am. Has he done any acting? I, I'm thinking voiceover work with his documentaries is really all I know him from. Yeah, and, I, and there's a moment that's uh, like a Herzog moment at the front end of one of those Ice Age movies or something yeah, like, like he, that. Yeah, he does some VO. He did voiceover on the, the TV series American Dad, Seth MacFarlane's. Uh, second television show. Um, so that's... You know, Herzog's a very famous director. As Shadow of Vampire, he did, too. Um, Bad Lieutenant, colon, Port of Call, New Orleans. Um, but, yeah, it's so funny to see him as the bad guy, and he just is having so much fun playing the villain in this piece. But other than that, I I, I don't... This is a fine movie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just really disposable. It's It's fine. It's watchable. The mystery's fairly engaging, but... I just didn't really ever get plugged into this movie. Uh, so, yeah, I, eh. It's a resounding eh all around for me. 
There you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what say you in thumbs up, thumbs down review? I, I was more eh than, than um, Dalton over there. He This movie just is, yeah, disposable, I think, is the perfect term for it. It is utterly disposable, and, and due to the nature of, of that movie, it, it comes across that it's disposable. And I think that's what had me, like, so disengaged that I was doing like five other things while watching this movie. And for my review, I read this review on Letterboxd I sent to all of our podcasters that I feel like perfectly summarizes this movie so much so that I will read it to you. It's rather short. It's just perfect. So this is by David Ehrlich because I cannot take credit for this man's genius. This movie was essentially two hours of Tom Cruise mind-fucking people. A typical scene. Jack Reacher. Does Shelly work here? Random, vaguely evil noob. She's not in today. Jack Reacher. Thanks. Now I know she works here. You've been hashtag reached. And then when he's not mind-fucking people, Werner Herzog shows up to talk about eating his own fingers or something. (laughs) That is a thing that happens. What do mysterious supervillains dream about? I was hoping he he was going to be inevitably shot and he'd be all like, it's an insignificant bullet. Oh, well. I'm sure Herzog agreed to do the movie. Um, because it was filmed in the one place that he's always been too afraid to set a production, Pittsburgh. I had no idea what was happening during most of the movie or where Robert Duvall came from or how Rosamund Pike's um, boobs seemed to need a supporting actor of its own or why they needed to murder that poor girl after only hitting on her first, but whatever. This is a movie and I saw it. And I agree with all of that. (laughs) It was a movie and you saw it. This is a movie and I saw it. And I had no idea really what was happening most of the time. Well, I'll tell you what. Watching this movie, uh, something occurred to me. And that is, I, I don't think Tom Cruise is an actor anymore. Uh, since probably 2003, he's just been the most charismatic stuntman in the world. Uh, I don't think he's interested in like real roles anymore. Like post-Vanilla Sky, I can't think of anything he's done that isn't an action movie. Um, he just really seems to be interested in driving cars and running from explosions and doing kung fu. Which is fine. I mean, I like Tom Cruise. He's a very charismatic actor. Not many people could rebound from the kind of uh, public backlash that he did. Uh, but he's still, you know, in some of the highest grossing movies of the last couple of years. I mean, his films perform well. People go to see his movies. I, and I like him on screen. I really do. Oh, I have nothing against Tom Cruise as an actor. I feel no, no, like he's I'm, done good stuff. This is just that's, not that, good stuff. That's my point, though. That's he, he doesn't take roles that are challenging. He takes roles that allow him to drive cars. Um And that just speaks to everything you need to know about this movie. And really, most of the movies Tom Cruise has done lately. I mean, he's done some interesting ones. Like, I I like the most recent Mission Impossibles. Um, I like Edge of Tomorrow a lot. Um, Yeah, I I felt like your criticism, again, over the the group text message where we were talking about the movie and, and Dalton was just saying how this movie was Mission Impossible Light. And then, yeah. you know, was that's, making all these jokes about it. That's exactly what it is. It's Mission Impossible Light. It is um, a Mission Impossible movie with a quarter of the budget um, and, not, and, and about as convoluted and uninteresting as a plot, but without all the amazing uh, you know, jokes and action set pieces that make the Mission Impossible movies so fun. Yep. Alrighty, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. What I would say in terms of review is it's kind of fun in terms of mystery. It doesn't really know what it is right. because it is sort of this action movie, you know, this American version of Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, and that we've got this roaming, you know, Ronin warrior who's going to go about and uh, make life better for those around them. Uh, 
so that's fine, I guess. And then the action bits are great. Uh, there are bits where he's just sort of being cold and calculated like the greatest detective ever. Sort of Batman moments that are that are fine, too. But they don't really mesh very well overall. I do find it a little overlong. And, uh, you know, so I, was, I wasn't bored, but I wasn't enthralled. Oh, yeah. Is what I would say. And like, as Dalton said, I think it's perfectly watchable. It's just utterly disposable. Very. And uh, I think that might uh, cue in some things I might say later on the show. But now you know, dear listener, what we think about this particular film and where we're coming from in terms of our uh, analysis uh, and whatnot. But I guess at this point, it's time to get down to business. You're trying to say, oh, yeah. It's business time. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. The business it's in question, business. of course, is analysis. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? What is this movie saying? Personally, I don't think this movie is saying anything. Though it does unintentionally say lots of weird stuff. Like, women who are slutty should die. You know, saying slutty in quotes. I'm not going to talk too much about that because I feel like uh, Dalton's going to touch on that too. But, you know, women who are, quote, slutty should die. That black people help bad guys only. And if you... um, And it tries to have a conversation about the rightness and wrongness of capital punishment, and it never really pulls off that conversation at all. But today I'm going to talk to you not about how something else relates to something else like one of our certain co-hosts loves to do. But I'm going to talk to you today about what this movie says about the action industry as a whole. Dalton over text, um, again, we put brought up how this movie was a placeholder film for crews between Mission Impossibles. I would agree. And I'd further assert that this movie merely acts as a financial springboard for the cast and crew and the director and the producer and everyone involved in this film. Because we know their product, um, because they know in their analysis in bringing us this product, which I can, I compare this movie to a product versus it being art or at least being like um, an, an interactive experience. Um, because we have this product and since the, movie executives know that crews plus action film badassery plus lots of guns fight scenes car chases will net money they're going to keep peddling this they're going to keep reusing this formula this money keeps the studios peddling crap like this until the next good franchise comes out like mission impossible i mean i'm actually pretty surprised that jack reacher has a sequel in the works but should i be surprised because of how, even though this weird this movie is weird and disjointed and has awkward things to say sometimes, um, I, I think that the fact that there is a sequel in this w- works for this movie shouldn't be a surprise to me. Because it's just, honestly, a huge payday in store for the people who have produced, directed, shot, and the actors in this film. I was looking for the uh, end tag on the credits. Jack Reacher will return in. Oh my God! Jack yeah. Reacher Two: Electric Boogaloo. Exactly, and, and it just that whole thing throughout just made it so disingenuous and so disposable, and it just felt like he's just this movie felt like a piece of paper, like a check that someone made out to themselves, and, and they they cashed the check, and they won the day. They got this movie made, and then they got money for it. And it did everything all these other arguably better action movies d- did, but it just 
uh, I don't know. I'm, I know this isn't super true analysis. I guess my core of my analysis is saying that this movie has nothing much to say besides being a payday for everyone involved. There you go. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say in terms of analysis? So, yeah, um, as Alex mentioned real briefly, this this film doesn't seem to have a whole lot on its mind. And this is one of those cases where I think, and I've talked about this before, where a, a lack of a film having anything interesting to say um, makes it really easy for it to say bad things on accident. Totally. And, and I'm really troubled with Sandy uh, and this whole subplot. Um, because Jack Reacher literally, the, the film, not the character, literally slut-shames her to death. Yes. Um, Jack Reacher seems to have an issue with uh, a woman making sexual advances towards him. Um, which, I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah, I mean, she was being quite direct and very uh, forward with this man she had never met. Uh, but, I mean, you know, he's kind of mean about turning her down. Uh, now we learn a little bit more later that she was intentionally, you know, trying to bait him. Um, so, you know, obviously wasn't actually trying to make an advance on him, but still his, his Alex's, as she said, the best line in the movie is, I, nobody said whore. Uh, she said, uh, what was it? I, um, it's, well, nobody said whore. She inferred hooker, but I meant slut. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, yeah. I, oh, and then the line, I don't. Um, you don't mind blood when it tells you you're not pregnant. You might have missed that one. Oh, I didn't miss that one. That uh, one was real bad. That made me yeah, disgusted. And I was just like, damn, Jack Reacher, what the hell? I mean, yeah, they're all cool lines, but they're really mean-spirited and nasty. And I, I just feel like this this film has a real issue with women's sexuality. Um, it's a very sexless movie, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with a movie not having sex in it, but... Uh, for a film to have such a weird relationship with sex is another matter entirely. That and every woman in the film literally makes eyes at Jack Reacher every time they get a chance. What? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Rosamund Pike insists he put his shirt back on due to his wonderful physique, which is not that great. It's kind of old man bod, but uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's And, and then, like, uh, Sandy, like, has an O face when she sees how bad he can whoop ass. It's really weird. Um, and, and then again, and this all leads to Sandy getting murdered by Jai and Courtney so they can frame Jack Reacher for murder. And it's just so strange. And she gets taken advantage of because she's, you know, she's cute and, you know, she, she's real bright, but she doesn't have a whole lot going on for her in her life. She's just kind of coasting. Uh, and the film takes a real issue with her just being a bright girl who just wants to work in an auto parts store and have sex. Uh, why? 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 What? What? Why? Be more constructive with your feedback, Jack Reacher. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Uh, and, and it's just it, there is a slight moment of redemption. I will say this: where the, for about two seconds, the film tries to say something interesting about Sandy and her sexuality. Where, where Jack Reacher meets her at the auto parts store, and he, he he's less mean this time. He realizes she's gotten roped into this, and he, he's not uh, being such a dick to her. Uh, and he says, "You know, you don't." have to do this like sleep with these guys who are just like shitty and use you uh and, and she says it's what girls like me do which is still kind of problematic which is implying that all girls like that just let, let men use them but it also i think does for a moment try to speak to a larger social issue definitely uh yeah about the the objectification the commodification of women uh particularly women who uh, you know, making a, a forward attempt to present their sexuality, either, you know, by 
trying to solicit sex or uh, by, you know, dressing in a sexy manner. Um, so that's problematic, the, the way that it's just kind of making this blanket statement. But I, I think what Sandy says is kind of interesting, that, like, this is the role society has pigeonholed for me. I don't know what else to do. And I find that interesting. And I, I think it would have possibly redeemed this whole subtext in this film if it wasn't for the fact that she gets punched so hard it kills her. Um, right. After she agrees to go maybe get drinks with Jai Courtney sometime. Right. Um, and then she dies. Uh, yeah. Because she stopped to talk to a cute guy. Yeah. And the other part that's very similar, it, it has... To me, this film has like this double meaning that it, it tries to say these good things, but it's undercut by like all of the things that the subtext says. So it's like Tom Cruise is like, don't let these men use you. Hey, let me have your car. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty great. And again, I think that's... Just like this quick about face, like, did anyone not catch what's going on here? I, and again, I think that speaks to, and I can't remember what film... We uh, talked about this on, but I, I feel like when a film intentionally doesn't have something on its mind, and not that there's anything wrong with a dumb movie, but when a film goes out of its way to be dumb, it leaves itself open to accidentally say something stupid uh, when it doesn't have anything else interesting on its mind. I don't think Chris McGuire, um, uh, who directed and I believe also wrote this the screenplay, I don't think he has any problems with women. I mean, his other films don't feature them prominently. Um and one of the films he wrote features Ryan Philby calling Sarah Silverman the C-word, but it's kind of a funny scene. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't think anybody here has malicious intent. That said, they definitely say something malicious. Um, and again, it just speaks to a larger cultural issue where we think it's okay to shame a woman for her sexuality. Uh, and I think that's a real fucking problem, especially in a movie uh, about a guy whose uh, whole mission statement is to experience American freedom. Um Unless that freedom, you know, offends him in some way. And in that case, it's not all right anymore. There you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I want to say in terms of analysis um, comes towards uh, the question of masculinity, as you talked about femininity in the film, in that uh, Jack Creecher... Uh, <laughs> I love that you insist on saying that. ...is uh, not fit for society. You know, uh, and, and the, the beginning presentation of the, uh, the framed sniper, the patsy sniper... Also, the sort of thing that what war has done is sort of made a monster of this person, and he's not fit to live amongst the rest of us. And uh, even though he's, in the end, not actually guilty of the crime, he was guilty of an earlier crime because it did sort of make him unfit. And and Reacher himself, uh, is he just does not function in society. He's not part of the world in which we live. And uh, there's another film I think that comes into great dialogue with this, and that's John Ford starring John Wayne's The Searchers, in which we have a, a Confederate war veteran who is absolutely just not fit to be around other people, who has uh, strange prejudicial views towards Native Americans. I think uh, Reacher's views uh, about women uh, falls into this category. And uh, just his, you know, ability to interact with society in any way. And the fact when there's a whole scene when uh, they're looking down at the window and he's talking about the the desperation these people are suffering. He just he doesn't get them. He doesn't understand them. He doesn't understand uh, what what's happening here. And uh, what what happens towards the end of the film formally that I find to be really really interesting is that John Ford uh, in the Searchers makes use of interior and exterior space in a way that's really, really interesting. And to place John Wayne always outside sort of these civil home mm -hmm. areas and using the framing of a door frame 
in order to show that this he's is an where, outsider. This, that he's an outsider, and this is where he belongs. Uh, the the hominess of the uh, uh, trailer office in the rock quarry, mm-hmm. uh, I think is intentional. And Reacher really belongs outside that. And as soon as he gets inside, he completely violates a massive rule when he executes Werner Herzog. And, uh, and it's just, again, he's not fit for I society. I am Zach. It's the only name I remember. And, and so, you know, and then, of course, Reacher uh, leaves immediately and, you know, you don't need me anymore. Even though he's very, very flirty and flirtatious, he's not fit to actually have a female partner in his life, it mm-hmm. seems. Uh, even though it seems to be something he might actually want, he seems to be incapable of having that sort of relationship. But backing up to this idea of, of uh, the film in terms of war, in the same way that The Searchers uses uh, the trauma suffered in uh, the Confederate uh, Union conflict that John Wayne, who never surrendered his saber, um, has gone through. I think that Reacher has fought for wars in in, in terms of wars that are morally suspect mm-hmm. and doesn't know what to do with himself now. And now he enters into a society in which, to, to, to some, he's a hero. To others, he's part of a, uh, a massive uh, miscarriage of justice, and he doesn't know how to be there any longer. And I think the film makes uh, slightly, brilliantly, slightly accidentally, uh, a, a very brilliant anti-war statement. Yeah, I saw. See, that. I think that stuff is a little bit more intentional. I really do. Um, just the, the the treatment of um, oh god, I can't remember the guy who is framed for the murder's name. Um, Patsy McPatterson. Yeah, Patsy McPatterson. Um, the Call way man. the way he is framed that that montage of him, you know, training his whole life and J- Jack Reacher's statement about there's you know there's four types of people who join the military, um, pe- the the family guy, uh, the um, the carrying on the family uh, the family company, uh, the family business, uh, people who need a job, uh, people who uh, want to kill people, and there's a fourth one I can't remember. Um, I think it was guys that don't. Guys that need a job. Patriotic Patriots. People. Yeah, patriots, uh, the family business, uh, guys who just need a job, and people who want to kill people. Um, and I think that in itself is kind of a, a, an interesting indictment of the military. For, for a film that is still kind of pro-traditional masculinity, it is an interesting indictment of the military in some regard. And, it, and Patsy McPatterson um, is framed as one of these guys who joined the military so he could kill people. And then it shows him, you know, spending... Ten thousand, you know, the requisite uh, ten thousand hours, um, learning how to kill people, and then when he doesn't get to, he just commits an act of wanton violence. And I think is that what you're getting out with the anti-war I, I thing? Think, I, I think it is, and I think what it does is it indicts also sort of that Americana version of masculinity. Yeah, saying that John Wayne is dead. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of understanding of what it means to be male and what it means to be manly isn't isn't satisfactory, isn't fulfilling, and in fact, it makes monsters of men. Who oh, I think that part's to, an accident. Yeah, try to who try to pursue that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Reacher, as it turns out, he's a good guy. He's got a moral compass. There's definitely good things he does. But just like in the Searchers, he is driven and monstrous. But unlike in the Searchers, when he finally accepts uh, his niece, who has been um, the uh, the sow. Basically, or squaw of uh, of uh, uh, of uh, whatever scar I think is the terrible, unfortunate name of the Indian chief. He accepts her in the end. We see uh, we see Reacher execute Werner Herzog, and that's what puts him on the outs. That he, that that there's moral compass 
up until a point, and then he does a violation uh, in Reacher, as opposed to basically monstrous acts and then finally finding a moral center in The Searchers. But both basically declare the same idea, that there is a morality, but it's a twisted morality, and the twisting of morality makes that person unable to really integrate fully into American civilization and society. And uh, by looking at it in those terms, again, those formal terms of the inside-outside spacings, I think are really interesting um, in terms of him using public transportation rather than um, or stolen, semi-stolen, semi-borrowed transportation. Uh, all of that sort of plays into this idea that what uh, the the most recent conflict has done and then more broadly what uh, sort of this Americana version of American masculinity has done is not create better men but create more dangerous men. And uh, to that to that point, I think the film is um, saying something you know worth thinking about. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Dustin. Um, I, I would agree with that 100%. Um, Again, I, I think the um, the slight indictment against military is probably more intentional uh, than what you're talking about is the the isolating effect of traditional masculinity. Um, something we talked we've talked about a lot on this show within the framework of what you know the recent military conflicts. Have yes, I think that stuff might be a little, as you said, unintentional. But I agree. Also, very brilliant and profound stuff i mean i you know I, I took this movie to task for sandy but other than that again i i really appreciated the the impactfulness of violence in this film so it's it does get some things right i really do think that well there you go dear listener now you've heard our analysis we come to a point in the show where we must render a verdict shelf or trash and then recommend our else's or instead's to expand your syllabi i ask you first mr Dalton Stewart, what do you say shelf or trash and then what is your else or your instead <sighs> Yeah, I, I can't I can't recommend you own this. That that would just be not worth your time. And there are better uh, I mean if you want a, a better Chris McQuarrie movie, you should watch uh Way of the Gun, which was his directorial debut, the first thing he did right after he wrote uh The Usual Suspects, um which is also messy but also full of personality uh and also very violent and very funny. So those are reasons I like it. And and Benicio del Toro is playing crazy pants in that movie which I always love. Uh or you could check out his his uh blockbuster sensation Mission Impossible Rogue Nation which is fucking amazing. Um just in terms of action cinematography and action choreography um and action pacing. I mean it's just aces. Uh Tom Cruise has got better recent movies. Edge of Tomorrow is a movie from last year that I think is really great. Um, is hysterical and well-shot action and some, has some interesting things to say. So, yeah, I, I'm going to have to say you trash Jack Reacher, guys. Uh, it's not like a slam dunking into the trash. It's not a uh, fuck-this-movie kind of trashing. It's just a, eh, there's better stuff out there. It's not worth your time. Um, at the end of the day, i got to give it three Werner Herzog fingers out of a possible eight. Most men have ten. But there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I like it. Well, uh, he's like, still he's got he's got his thumb and his index finger. Oh, left, I guess that's right? true. I guess yeah. that's true. Yeah, I was just thinking in actual human hands. But yeah, you're correct. Werner Herzog tr- transcends humanity. That this is yes, he is definitely post-human. Doctor Andy, is there such thing as insanity among penguins? I try to avoid a definition of insanity or derangement. I don't mean that uh, a penguin might believe he he or she is Lenin, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, but uh, could they just go crazy because they've had enough of their colony?
Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Show for trash, and what is your else or your instead? Oh, this is a pretty easy trash for me, guys. I I mean, I didn't really think I this movie had anything to say except for accidentally stumping, stomping on women and um, you know other critical issues like that. Um, I do like that critique of you know American masculinity and the kind of war complex. That's good. Um, so I didn't really consider that before. Is it trying to say that? But so uh, it's despite that there may be meaning in this film. Despite that, I still wouldn't recommend you own this film. There are movies that do critiques that way in a better fashion. Um, there are movies that talk um, about women in a more positive way, like most movies, I'd say. Um, and then I, there are also movies that are better action films. So um, if you want to watch a action film with Tom Cruise, just watch Mission Impossible. Like, this was the placeholder Mission Impossible film. Well, I, I think it was a, a way for Chris McGuire to cut his teeth and get ready for Mission Impossible 5. Right. But um, just watch those, because that's basically what you're missing out on. And if you want to learn more about hyper-masculinized American society and how that affects all of our, our youth, um, there was a documentary that released this past year. I think it went to Sundance and everything. It's called The Mask You Live In, and it's about... Um, you should watch the trailer. I, I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but you can at least like schedule screenings and watch the trailers um, essentially, it's just critiquing the way, um, as American society, we're treating our young men um, to essentially raise them in a way that they at lash out destructively in acts of hypersensationalized violence. And it talks about guns and gangs and like all kinds of crazy stuff. So um, definitely check that out. Um, then. So my final rating is three and a half uh, plot quarters out of a possible f- f- ten, I guess. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. <laughs> I am also going to say trash. Uh, it's just not worth your time. Nope. It, it's fun. It, I mean, it's not like I don't, I'm not mad about having watched it. I'm not angry at Arthur Gordon, and I hold him vaguely responsible, even though this is not his host pick for this particular month. <laughs> uh, he did say some things, and I don't hate him. Entirely. Yeah, no, Arthur likes this movie. He I does. W- I wish he could have been here today to, to tell us why. He, I mean, he doesn't love it, but he does like it. I, I'm kind of curious what he probably what he doesn't want to throw it away like we all do. Yeah, like, kinda, this is a three for three. I'm kind of curious what he has to say about it. I take it all back. Actually, I still hate Arthur. But um, <laughs> what I would say, uh, it, it definitely is just not worth your time. And so what else you should watch? I've already mentioned The Searchers. Um, I think that's definitely worth your time, and that's a good counterpoint to what's going on here. And I think it does sort of add some nuance to what we're experiencing, um, sort of imported nuance. But uh, nonetheless, I think it would make a good double feature uh, for you all in that viewing. And then in terms of sort of this thriller uh, action piece uh, sort of movie with with, with a more um, ineffectual action hero, I'm going to recommend uh, Clear and Present Danger with uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, which is a sort of more of a political thir- th- uh, thriller. It's, it's as convoluted. I think it's um, as easily understood as well. Um, I don't think it's m- more difficult to follow. I mean, you guys could tell me if you think differently. I would say I've, I've never seen Clear and Present Danger all the way through, but there's a difference between uh, convoluted and easy to follow, I think. 
Yeah, and I, I believe this was probably convoluted. Um, Jack Reacher is, mm-hmm. and clear and present danger may just be less easy to follow. Okay, I I think that I think it might be fair. Dear listener, tell what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, just something can be convoluted and still easy to follow. It's just overly complex. Yes, and I think there's there's a lot of complexity there, and I really like that film a lot. Um, so I recommend that. Um, this film overall, though, I give it about two and a half broken index fingers and a gun um, disarmament out of a possible ten. And uh, oh wow, that's really low. Yeah, I don't like it very much. Ooh. Yeah, I like it a little bit more than that. Well, I think it's pretty bad. I but gave it three out of eight, but, but still, well, I would still give it a heart on Letterboxd with that rating, even though it's bad. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what? Well, you're generous with your hearts, man. I only give hearts to movies that I like would watch again and see. A I'm second. pretty. I'm pretty generous. I watched it twice. Well, you watch everything twice. Almost. I probably should start <sighs> watching things. I should twice. watch things twice. I, but this guy's a fucking nerd. <laughs> In the best way. I, I don't know. In the way I, that we love him and because he's the one that's getting a PhD in film studies. We, we talk a lot. I'm sad and I'm going to go home now. No, it's like the best kind of compliment. We talk a lot about uh, the heart system. Don't don't backpedal, Alex. Commit. You don't, you don't have to apologize to him. Fuck him. Okay. Um, we, talk, we talk a lot about how great Letterboxd is on the show, but I really like that heart system. Because you can have a five-star movie you don't like. You know what I mean? I, Correct. I like that Letterboxd gives you the option of saying, yes, it's one. It's half a star, but I like it. It's yeah. not good. I love I love that option on Letterbox. It's something I really enjoy about it. Yeah, because you can acknowledge them. Like, because one of my favorite movies of all time, I would never even watch. Make the show watch because I don't even know if it's like good trash. Well, you but have to name it now. Well, it, we've talked about the gamers the, too. Yeah, Darkness Rising or whatever. Dor- I watched like the first half hour of it, oh Alex. My. It's bad. Yeah, I know it's bad. Do I still love it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it is. It is bad. It's no. cute. Yes. It's so, like, no the, heart, the heart system exists for things like that. Fair enough. Well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know what we think, and your syllabus just got a little longer. Now we come to the time of the show where you can give us some feedback as to what you think about what we said, what we didn't say, what we should have said, and why we're wrong. Or perhaps right. Occasionally that happens. And you can do that via those magical means that we know as social media. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, can you tell me anything about that? Oh, man, guys. I can tell you lots of things about that. Because you can find us at, the, at Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash goodtrashgenrecast. We've got some feedback from the book face. Um, let's see. We had some comments. So we posted about... Um, we had a throwback Thursday about Event Horizon, and Randall Blaze said that he loved that film. So I'm assuming Randall is going to go watch or watch, listen to that episode if he hadn't already. Um, I shared today, a, I totally shamelessly stole from Dustin's wall um, it's 280 movies singing Uptown Funk. Mm-hmm. And um, so I shared that on our Facebook page. and. Tina Dewberry McNeil said, wow, I bet that took a long time to come up with. That's my sick aunt. Oh, yeah. Cool. Well, awesome. Um, props to her. So those are our face, our main Facebook things. I have from one correspondent known as Nick Sanford, who was on the show last week. He told me some really great stuff. So one listener coming out of Enid, Sanford shared on his personal Facebook about the episode saying he was on it. And um, Shelby Parks, who I actually went to high school with, if this is the right guy, he said, I actually took the time to listen to this, and it was great. I'm downloading a whole bunch of other 
episodes, older episodes now. Thanks, Shelby. Enjoy the back catalog. Love hearing that kind yeah, of feedback. Yeah, me too. Um, one, I'm going to end on the most interesting piece of news. So I went out to drinks and dinner, going away for party for some friends. Out of nowhere, one of the hosts who was leaving the party, like, to move somewhere else, she goes up to me. She's like, I love your podcast. And, and keep in mind, I have never said a word to her in person about the podcast. I just in, I invited her to like the page, and that's all. And she did. And I have heard nothing about it. And so she just went on and on about how she loved the podcast, and she thought it was so Sick. funny and clever and amazing. And then um, my chairman of my department – um, at OU, he um, wanted me to give him some more information. And so he gave us a film to do if we ever feel like uh, doing a, a pick like this. Um, he gave us a film and he told me to send it to him, um, send the podcast to him, yet to fe- hear back from that individual. And finally, our last piece of feedback, my favorite piece, Nick Sanford said that his reason that he is now a vegetarian is because of the good trash genre cast. Well, he, he would not call himself a vegetarian. Uh, I keep reminding Nick he is, and he just insists, no, I just don't eat meat anymore. <laughs> he he said, doesn't want the label. He says, I don't think I ever told anyone but Dalton, but the Texas Chainsaw episode is actually the thing that got the ball rolling on me becoming a full-blown uh, vegetarian. So... He said that would also be the most hilarious piece of listener feedback ever. We made someone stop eating meat. I think that should be the tagline of our show this week. We made someone stop eating meat. But um, so that's about all the feedback we've got this this week. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media memes? I was in prison in Siberia. I spent my first winter wearing a dead man's Twitter account. One follower. I chewed these fingers off before the lack of followers could turn to gangrene. These I gave up to avoid lurking on the Facebook page. That is how I survived when so many others did not. A madness rare can always be of use. So show me. Show me you are rare. Show me you'll do anything to tweet. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Any feedback coming in from that Twitter account? Uh, we do have a little bit. Michael Ross, who on Twitter is at Camp Firewood, uh, said, No offense to Paxson, but how, how much better would Twister have been if there was a subplot about, the rabbit, and, about rabbit and Dusty with the case of Texas beer? Uh, to which Alex said, We ask ourselves the exact same thing during this week's episode of her Twister. Uh, and uh, Michael Ross uh, wrote back to us and said, Ruck and Hoffman in a box truck running cases of Coors Light to the people of uh, Tornado Damage Warica. Guaranteed hit. Uh, yes, please. It's it's basically smoking the bandit happening on the, uh, the, the fringes of Twister, which sounds great. Uh, Brigham Cole wrote in with some uh, picks for uh, finest Brad Pitt moments, uh, our, our game from uh, a couple of weeks ago when we did World War Z. Uh, Brigham Cole suggested, um, much like Caleb Masters, uh, that he's a big fan of uh, Brad Pitt's turn as Jeffrey in uh, 12 Monkeys. He's also a big fan of uh, Sergeant War Daddy Collier, who I also mentioned as one of my favorite Brad Pitt performances uh, in the film Fury. Uh, and finally, he, he said um, Brad Pitt's minor perform- uh, appearances in two episodes of Jackass for the Night Monkey bits. 
Um, we also got a bunch of new followers in the shape of at Steve McGrew, um, who is uh, uh, at Steve McGrew, who uh, hosts some kind of uh, comedy show on Comedy Central's uh, Sirius XM channel. Um, so that was cool. Uh, Christopher Fox, a local comedian here in Oklahoma, that's at Foxy Fox Curls uh, with a Z, in fact. Um, and at Tony Norris, Tony with an I. So thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Also got a, a lot of retweets and favorites uh, coming out this week, uh, helping promote our uh, discussion over um, Twister. Uh, got a new follow from James and Zach. That's at Center Realists. Fran King, one of the the, the frequent uh, commenters uh, that we don't actually know in, in the real life. Uh, he said, I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's a good podcast concerning the history of uh, Hollywood at Remember This Podcast, which is uh, at You Must Remember This, which is uh, on the uh, Wolf Pop uh, podcast network. Uh, and they, they just kind of go over um, obscure scandals and histories in Hollywood. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I've heard a lot about it because I listened to another uh, show on the Wolf Pop channel. And it sounds really interesting. It's something I think we might want to check out. So that's what we've got coming in in the way of Twitter feedback this week, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, that was amazing and fun, dear listener. Of course, you can keep giving us feedback at iTunes. It's so helpful if you give us a review, um, or rather a rating, and then a review is always fun because we will read those on the air, as well as you can give us uh, comments at Stitcher Internet Radio, also on the Podbean site itself, and we'd love to hear that from you all. But let's move on. Enough of this stuff. It's time to play the game. This week's game is uh, Directors We'd Like to See Direct a Franchise. Uh, that's right. Directors We'd Like to See Direct a Franchise. Brought to you by Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. It's the movie Chris McQuire directed before he directed Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Very specific. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, with no further ado, Mr. Dalton Stewart, who would you like to see direct a franchise? We'll say, yeah, we, uh, th- that's the impetus of the game. Uh, Chris McQuire... Uh, went on to to direct the newest entry in the Mission Impossible franchise after this, which is kind of cool for him. I mean, prior to this, he'd only done two... Prior to Mission Impossible, he did Jack Reacher and Way of the Gun, and Way of the Gun did not do well at all. Uh, I believe it was a loss for the studio, um, and didn't he didn't direct another movie for you know over 10 years. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, I think the only problem I have with this game is a lot of the directors I really like, I don't think I want to see them do a, do a franchise. Uh, I can't imagine... Any franchise I want to see Paul Thomas Anderson take part in because I'm more interested in the films he's making uh, on his own. Ditto for guys like you know Tarantino and Scorsese and uh, Fincher. Like I don't know if I want to see them direct any franchise entries. My uh, name's Dalton Stewart, and my taste in films is so good that I can't even. No, I just I like what those guys have to say on their own. I mean, there are directors I like that I want to see. Like uh, uh, the fact that Ryan Johnson is going to be directing Star Wars Episode Eight is. Um, just amazing, and I'm so excited about that, and I can't wait to see what he does. Uh, I was really bummed out when Edgar Wright didn't end up directing Ant-Man. Uh, I'd still like to see what Edgar Wright could do with um, a, um, a comic book franchise. Uh, he did great stuff with Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, so I'd like to see him re-enter that comic book world. George Miller. I'd just like to see him keep making Mad Max movies, uh, but really anything in, in that post-apocalypse genre or that, that car chase genre. Can you imagine George Miller directing an entry in the Fast and the Furious franchise? Fun times. I mean, there's no way he would, but the car chases would be amazing. Uh, 
uh, a couple of guys that you probably won't know by name, but you might know their work. Uh, Chad Stalinsky and David Leitch, or Leitch, I believe, um, who directed the amazing John Wick from last year. Um, these guys cut their teeth as stuntmen and second unit directors. Um, so they know their way around an action scene, and they show that with John Wick. Uh, and I would love to see them take on an action franchise. Um, if America's going to insist on making a, a U.S. version of the Raid Redemption, these would be the guys to do it. Uh, mm. Because they have a real eye for uh, fight scene choreography and an eye for um, what looks good. Uh, and, and how to keep a sense of location within action scenes and a sense of geography uh, and a sense of impact. You know, they don't do a lot of quick cuts, which I know is the hip thing to do in, in action scenes now. They let it linger, which is something that George Miller does that I like a lot. They let the camera linger on the action. Uh, I mean, it's, it's inventive use of camera movement without doing a lot of unnecessary takes. Uh, Joe Wright, uh, who is most known for doing things like Atonement uh, and Anna Karenina, a couple of years ago, uh, back in 2010, he directed the spy thriller Hannah. Hannah is amazing. Hannah is an amazing film with uh, Kate Blanchett and... Um, Swarcy Ronan. Swarcy Ronan, but I couldn't think of the guy that plays her. Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Yeah. Thank you. I, I could remember everybody but Eric Bana. Um, it's, yeah, it's an amazing movie, right, Dustin? Yeah, I love it so it's much. It's so underrated. Uh, it's one of my fa- it was one of my favorite movies of 2010. I think it might be my top five, actually. I love that movie. Um, I would love to see him take another shot at action because he does a really good job at it. Um, I, I know it's not common for American directors to get handed the keys to the Bond franchise, but I'll tell you, well, that's not true. We got some Mark Forster's a the, the last couple of guys that directed um, the Daniel Craig entries. I think some of them are American, but at, at any rate, I think he could do some cool stuff with the Bond franchise. Um, just he he seems to have an understanding of what makes an interesting spy thriller uh, and have a really just does a really good job at, uh, at directing action in that film. There's a scene where Eric Bana fights a bunch of guys in the subway. That is one. It starts out with Eric Bana kind of walking through the city and into the subway and fights like five guys. And it's all one take. It's a, it was a very long take. I'm sure there's some hidden cuts in there somewhere, uh, but it's really, really interesting stuff. Um, speaking of comic book movies, I uh, talked about that a second ago with Edgar Wright. I'll tell you who would be interesting to direct a comic book movie, the Wachowskis. Because all yeah. of their films are comic books. All of their films have that sense of mythology, that sense of kind of hyper-reality, um, that really intricate art design. Um, I, again, the Wachowskis almost fall in that category of guys I want to, uh, or, or a team, rather, uh, that I'd like to see keep doing their own thing. Um, uh, Andy and Lana just, I mean, even the stuff that a lot of people don't like, like Speed Racer and Jupiter Ascending, I, I like quite a bit, actually. Um, I, I think there's something of value in both of those films, uh, which are con- kind of considered flops for them, uh, both critically and commercially. But I, I again, I, I, I struggle to make to wish that upon them the the danger of having to direct a studio franchise. Um, but I'd like to see what they could do w- with something that has that pre-established mythology that they could add to without having to create their own thing from the ground up. So uh, maybe a solo Star Wars film for them could be really interesting. I'm really, ex- I'm really excited uh, about these spin-off Star Wars movies. Yes. Uh, I talk about it all the time in the show. Um, for, a long, for, for about six months, there was this rumor that Zack Snyder was going to direct a remake of The Seven Samurai set in the Star Wars universe as one of the spin-off movies. Wow. Yeah, that would be, so, be so awesome. It would be so wow. good. And, and Snyder is a guy that I... I he, your results may vary. Uh, I he's got two films that I think he's got a great film, uh, a near great film. Uh, he's got a great film in the Dawn of the Dead remake from two thousand four, a nearly great film with Watchmen, 
a very messy but very personal and interesting movie in Sucker Punch, uh, and a pretty damn good movie in Man of Steel, a film I like more than a lot of people. And I've 300s a fucking special effects demo. That's not a movie. Um, but, yeah, he, he's a guy with a really interesting style. Um, it's a little over-stylized sometimes, but, you know, I, I like my uh, my panache. Uh, I like my pizzazz. So uh, I'm so excited about these Star Wars spinoff movies, and I would have been interested to see what he had to do with that. But, you know, guy. <clears throat> Uh, but a team like the Wachowskis, I think, could bring something really interesting to any world. Because, I mean, they're they're self-professed fans of comic books and of Star Wars. And, you know, just these are the things that I'm interested in. You, you guys should know by this time what my wheelhouse is, listener. So that's what I'm into. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? Just two, keeping it short and sweet. I would like, because Dalton just went into the meat and potatoes of, like, film scholars. I'm just like... What hasn't been done that would be really cool? Um, Hayao Miyazaki. I would like him to direct the Harry Potter films as envisioned by Hayao Miyazaki because that would be incredible. A, I've always wanted to see Harry Potter as an anime in like the anime style. And B, I mean, bringing his imagination. Like, um, So Howl's Moving Castle is actually um, one of his early earlier works is actually based on a, a novel, a young adult children's novel by diane Wynne jones who she's written a lot of stuff and i've read the book and then i've watched the movie and it was very interesting to see his take on it so i'd like to of course see it that way and then finally i would like to see michael bay direct any shakespeare movie (laughs) <laughs> well, we had a little bit of that with Baz Luhrmann doing a Romeo and Juliet movie. That's right. So right. I think that would be something along the lines, yeah? Yeah, just something utterly absurd. Something that's, you know, would be a summer, this summer, the- see Hamlet. And it's just like this giant explosion. Maybe ha- uh, Hamlet like is has a mech suit or there, something. There is a uh, Hamlet adaptation coming out later this year starring the incomparable uh, Michael Fassbender as Hamlet that looks amazing. I'm in. Yeah, it looks so good. Uh, did you guys ever catch the Ray Fiennes, uh, the Coriolanus adaptation he directed? No. no. Really good. Really good. Apparently, Benedict Cumberbatch is slated to play Hamlet on stage at the RSC, and of course, everyone is just like, hey! Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, Because Hamlet, and because Cumbersnatch. Benedict Cumbersnatch. Yeah. Bramble Patch. Cucumber squash. Yeah. Bendy dick, come in my snatch. Oh. Whoa. Ooh. Oh, good God. It's a joke. It's we'll, not like... We'll, we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan. And speaking of Michael Bay... <laughs> I like watching Dustin turn bright red. It's hilarious. <laughs> There's a shade of pink in my ears right now. Um, what I would say um, in terms of Michael Bay is I would like to see a fight choreographer and uh, Hong Kong director Wu Ping take a crack at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yin Wu Ping, the man. Oh, God. But like reboot the whole series um, without the Bay. And uh, go at it that way. I think it'd be really, really fun. For, for those of you who don't know, uh, Wu Ping uh, was the fight choreographer for the Matrix trilogy. Correct. Uh, for the Kill Bill films, um, for J- uh, Jet Li's Fist of Legend. I mean, if there's a great fight scene that you love, there's a good chance Wu Ping had something to do with it. I mean, for the last 20 years. He's just, 
hands down one of the best fight choreographers that ever lived. I mean, he's amazing. So that would be the first pick I have. The next pick I have is Ridley Scott's Indiana Jones trilogy. And, uh, oh, my goodness. All together different with that. I think that'd be fun and interesting. Huh. Yeah, just think about it for a minute. Huh. You know, I, I mean, know. I'm thinking good like things about playing it. Playing around with like existing mythologies and then you know, you know, tying in additional different meanings and conspiracy theories and that kind of thing. I think it'd be fun. I read. Yeah. I, I heard a really interesting um, discussion uh, by a film critic by the name of Amy Nicholson. I'll talk a little bit more about her later. Uh, basically, asserting that Ridley Scott's the most overrated director of all time. Wow. Yeah, and made she made a really compelling argument that his only good movie is Alien. Blade Runner. No. no. Didn't like Blade Runner. It made a really compelling case for why Blade Runner is not particularly good. Um, He's dead to me. I, I'll tell you what, man. I I need to rewatch it. I've been meaning to rewatch it for years. The one time I saw Blade Runner, it didn't, didn't blow my socks off. I liked it. I thought it was fine. I really appreciate what it did for science fiction. Um, I think it's that problem of I'm seeing it after I saw all the things that influenced it. Um, you know, And Blade Runner was a famously troubled film. Sure. Um, you know, there, I mean, there's like eight different cuts of the movie. Um, so, you know, it's it's not a particularly fun to watch film. It's not paced very well. Mm. Um, but it's beautiful to look at. I don't know about the pacing issue you bring up, but... I don't know, man. It's pretty slow for, for an action thriller. Um, I don't guess I see it as an action thriller. I don't know. Yeah, yeah or even that. for a detective story, if you want to call it, just call okay. it a detective story. I think story. about it as a detective story. And I sure. think it's paced kind of wonkily for a detective story. But anyway, uh, I just something interesting that I heard this week that I wanted to interject there. My final pick is, um, you know, Dracula Untold came out as a uh, sort of a first film in a universal rebooting of some sort of massive monster mashup. And so I'd like to see that happen. And I'd like to see Guillermo del Toro be given the keys to the kingdom and make all that come true for us all. I think in that case, unlike Dracula Untold, it would make a profit and it would be brilliant. And those are our picks, dear listeners. So uh, let us know what you would like to see happen in terms of directors approaching a film franchise. We'd love to hear more about that. But now it's time to find out uh, who actually did start the fire as we talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Yeah. Turn me up. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up? Um, the only thing I have to be fired up about is I saw Magic Mike XXL over the weekend. And it was fun, not just for the obvious reasons, but it actually had some good things to say about um, treating women in a positive way and body positivity and, you know, kind of some good things to say about racial equality. So if you haven't checked it out, you should, because it will make your heart happy, plus get to see hot men dance. It's hard not to be positive about your body when you've got Channing Tatum's abs. No, no. Like, no it's I'm not, just kidding. Oh, I'm okay. kidding. You know how the... Okay. I'm just teasing. Right. Yeah, um, I've never got around to seeing uh, I didn't see the, the first one I, either. Well, so. Steven Soderbergh directed the first one, which should tell you something about... Uh, you know, I'm not a, a huge fan of Soderbergh, but I'd be lying if I said he wasn't a talented director, so... Yeah. Um, and that's about everything that's happening in the pop culture. I mean, besides um, the International Five is happening right now, Dota Championship with the $6 million prize pool for the winning team. And um, it's really great. So I'm going to go see that in theaters live streamed because um, they have it theaters around the country. So that'll be this weekend. It'll be super fun. 
So that's about it. Though, I, I have to back here. you up. Yeah. Because I, I'm not a gamer. Are you telling me that they live stream other people playing video games in theaters? Is that, is that what you're that, talking I mean, about? That, that, is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, this is the first. No, I mean, because it's not just the stream of them playing. Like, this is, it's going to be the grand final, so it's a best of five series. Right. But it has, like, the analysts, the commentary desk, the interviews. Like, it has all of the stuff that, they like, have a normal. commentary desk. Yeah, analyst desk, commentary desk, and then they have, like, the interviewers. I, I tried to watch the the, uh, the world finals for, I think it was, uh, I forget League. which Call of Duty. It was one oh, of the okay. Call of Duties. And I was just the whole time, you know, I, I don't have any interest in Dota or League of Legends or MOBAs because I don't play them, but I've played enough first-person shooters that I can watch something like the Call of Duty finals and, like, know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was just like, this is fucking boring. It's This fun. is boring. I'm going to go play a video you, game. I mean, a lot of... I mean, a lot of people actually watch versus play. Like, yeah, no, it's I know. Not they unusual. Do. Well, Twitch is a huge. Yeah, Twitch is a huge. Twitch thing. is amazing. Twitch, so. Dustin is a uh, because you go you, on. I'm not, I have no idea. Not because you're old. Because you don't know anything about video games. Correct. Um, t- Twitch is a, a service that lets you stream your gameplay, right. and it's huge. So there's yeah. a huge market. There are people who don't even like play a lot of video games that will just be like, that game looks interesting, and I'm interested in the story. I don't really want to play it, and we'll just watch somebody. And we'll just watch somebody play it on Twitch. Right. And, of course, then in, in like, more professional scenes, you'll have um, Twitch streamers like the pros. They'll, I mean, you could be a Twitch partner, and that's how a lot of times they'll make money in between tournaments. Same with, like, famous, like, personalities and stuff in the scenes, like, whatever game scene you're in. But, like, they'll stream so they can make some extra cash. You know, they'll get, you'll get to watch. Like, how interesting is it that you get to watch someone practice it'd be like getting to creep on like a, a pro basketball players like scrimmages you know okay. and seeing their techniques and what they I, do I don't, I don't think they have scrimmages in basketball but well um you know what they uh don't have well crap have that's practices. a very bad they have practices this is a bad segue but i'm gonna say it anyway so jeremy lynn uh nba superstar sure um he's a huge dota fan so he has been on the a, a handful of panels at the international that's talking hilarious. about about dota Huh. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. It's a big deal. I mean, okay. I, I, I can't sneeze about $6 million, so... I just need a little clarification no, because that fine. was completely a foreign idea to me. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up as well? I am. Uh, as was mentioned a, a few times, uh, Mission Possible Rogue Nation's out. I went and saw it uh, Friday. God, that is such a fun movie. Oh, my God. It's so great, guys. Uh, I actually ended up watching... Uh, I saw uh, Mission Impossible Hoodie Protocol fairly recently, so I didn't watch that one. But I uh, rewatched the uh, the first three Mission Impossible movies this weekend after seeing Rogue Nation. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't know how this franchise lasted for as long as it did because one's fun. Um, it is a very it's a it's it's a spy thriller like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is a spy thriller. Um, it's it's not an action movie by any means. The, the the big action set piece of the movie is Tom Cruise suspended from a wire typing on a computer. Um, I mean, it's a Brian De Palma movie. It, it's it's very good, uh, but it's interesting to me where this franchise went. And then John Woo made a fucking weird movie that's not good in Mission Impossible 2. J.J. Uh, Abrams' Mission Impossible 3 is fantastic. Loved it a lot. And Mission Impossible 5 uh, is so exciting. Um, in the first five minutes of this movie, Tom Cruise hangs off the side of a damn airplane. It's a thing he really did. That's what I'm talking about when I say he's not an actor anymore. He's just a charismatic stuntman. And it's got the craziest motorcycle chasing I've ever seen in my life. Um, it looks so dangerous. Guys, this whole movie was so dangerous. I don't know how nobody died. It was terrifying for me to watch. Um, 
I also started uh, checking out a new podcast um, on the Wolf Pop Network uh, called The Canon uh, that is hosted by uh, Devin Faraci, uh, for, uh, formerly of Badass Digest, uh, now the editor-in-chief of birthmoviesdeath.com. Uh, and Amy Nicholson, who writes for um, LA Weekly, who's their film critic. Uh, and basically, they, they do one simple thing. They pick a movie each week, and they debate whether or not it should be in the canon, uh, the, the pantheon of great films that should be remembered forever. And if you know we have to send out a, a message to aliens or future generations, these are the films we want represented. That's, uh, that's cool. What they do. It yeah, feels they, a little sistery to kind of what we do here. Well, I mean, they're much more popular than well, we are. I mean, it, well, I mean... Yes, we've been doing this for a long time. It is... Uh, we're we're definitely similar niches. We're cousins, yeah. Yeah, cousins. Uh, they they do um, again. They just it's it's more analysis and review, and they talk about what works and what doesn't work, and what's interesting and what's influential about a film. They did Blade Runner. Um, neither of them like it, which is interesting to me. Especially Devin Farachi's a huge nerd. I mean, he's really into genre film and science fiction and comic book and horror films. Uh, and he talks about uh, he argued very hard for Inception being in the canon, um, but. And argued for Blade Runner being in the canon. Just did, and that's the interesting thing. They say you can dislike a movie uh, and say it d- definitely needs to be in the canon. Oh, I say that about Citizen Kane all the time. Yeah. Or you can love a movie and say this, this has no place in the canon. Um, the one I was listening to uh, before you guys got here, they, were, they do battle episodes. So they did one with Alien and Aliens. Only one of them gets to be in the canon. Which one should it be? Um, Alien, Alien, obviously. Yeah, I, I know. I'm not going to talk to you two. I know. I mean. Aliens. I, I know. They went on for an hour. And Kamel Nanjiani, who's a comedian I love, uh, who's on Silicon Valley, was a guest on that episode. And yeah, Amy Nicholson was all alone uh, vouching for aliens. Uh, you guys should listen to that episode, everybody. If you like the Alien franchise, it's, it was a fun episode. Uh, the one I was listening to before you guys got over here was um, Fury Road versus The Road Warrior. Uh, and they were originally going to do Mad Max versus The Road Warrior, and Amy Nicholson watched the entire franchise in, in a week and was like, no, it's got to be Fury Road. Like, I'm dropping Road, uh, Mad Max 1. Uh, if it's down to 2, it's that and Fury Road, because Fury Road is, is that good. Uh, and that's something that's interesting. They do older films, obviously, but sometimes they look at newer films and say, you know, just because a film's brand new doesn't mean it hasn't already submitted its place as an important uh, film. So it's a great podcast you guys should definitely check out. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I am fired up about a couple of things going on. Uh, one of them is nerdy and uh, somewhat appropriate to earlier conversation in that I've been playing a video game. Go a, on. A little bit. And, and, and again, this is uber nerdy. Um, there is a Star Trek online oh, yeah. video game. Yeah, the massive mm-hmm. multiplayer online. There's like a big long M-P-O-R-G. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even care what the letters are. But a more, more, more perger, I think, is something the like pronounced. That. It's stupid fun. It is crazy, stupid fun. Judgment-free zone. It sounds awesome. And, and really kind of hard. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And so I like that about it as well. And so, Well, and that's one of those, those uh, MMOs that is free to play now. Like It used to be it's free, yes. uh, had a monthly subscription, and um, it had a small but dedicated fan base, so they made it free to play, right? Oh, I wouldn't pay money for anything. I no, I know you wouldn't. You're yeah. a cheapskate. Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about that. Also, um, in my bag, if you want to grab it out, Ms. Alex, there's a red book in there. And I am teaching uh, yeah, English Comp 2 or Comp 1 section next semester. And the first, uh, there's a red book in there. And uh, the, uh, I thought so, Shazam. 
And uh, the first half is all about Dracula. The second is all about Batman. And I have a leather-bound edition of Dracula. It's gorgeous. It's that really, is beautiful. It's yeah, really, oh, really fun really to have. Nice. And uh, it's mm-hmm. got a black gilding on the pages. That's oh, gorgeous. And oh, the marbled paper. It's, nice it's, touch. Yeah, I mean it's a public domain book. It's a Barnes and Noble edition, but it's I leather love those. and it's got a it's got a velvet mm. marker. And I'm really, really just kind of keen that I own that. It makes yeah, me be lovely. proud. Makes, I mean, a book that you cherish so much, you should have the the coolest copy of it imaginable. So your 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 English comp class is going to be. Just Dracula and Batman? Yeah. If, uh, until fall break, it's Dracula, and then after fall break, it's Batman. They're going to love that. And What Batman gonna, are you going to make them read? Uh, I'm going to make them read year one. That's good. And we're going to watch Begins and run some comparative work there. So just the two of them? Uh, That's good, though. Well, that, and they're going to watch the original um, 1926, The Bat, which is the inspiration of the Batman character. It's a silent film. It's uh, uh, kind of one of those Haunted Mansion movies. And in this film, the Bat character is a villain. I kind of assumed. Which is fascinating and interesting. You should have made them read Long Halloween. I like it. It's longish. It is very long. Yeah, that could be a whole semester. I mean, they're reading the whole novel, so I'm yeah, trying, trying to true. break it up a little bit. Long Halloween's like 350 pages. So, But I'm really excited about that. The last thing I'm really fired up about this week is it's the last week of Jon Stewart's show. Um, on the John Stewart, the Daily Show oh, with John Stewart, yeah. and I'm sad to see him go. I think he's an important voice in our culture, in our context, and uh, we wish him the best with whatever he is going to do. But I've had a lot of fun with it. There's been a lot of uh, fun little uh, remembering John. Those moments. tributes are so funny. They're so funny, especially how they foul up his name, the Bubans. <laughs> And uh, so it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I really really enjoyed that. And uh, check out the Daily Show because you know it's a good show. I'm excited to see what Trevor Noah is going to do with it. I think it's going to be good. I, I really think it's going to be better than people are sort of in the internet hating on. Well, the internet hates everything. That's accurate. Well, there you go, dear listener. That is a show. Next week's film is going to be continuing our You Don't Know Jack series, uh, Jack Reacher being the first entry. And we're going to be looking at a little film called Jack City. New Jack City. New Jack City. Not the old Jack City in Europe, but the new one in America. Uh, starring uh, Wesley Snipes. Uh, I think Ice Tea's in it, too. Yes, Ice Tea is in it. Ice Tea. Oh, my God. Ice Tea, I adore you. So, oh, I get it. It's like when somebody drinks too much or smokes too many cigarettes. That's this something he says? That's a, this is a reference to to uh, John Mulaney's bit about uh, how Ice-T, uh, um, every day on SVU, seems like it's Ice-T's first day as a cop. You tell me this guy likes little girls with pigtails? Yeah, Ice-T, you work on the sex crimes unit. You need to get used to that. <laughs> That's funny. But there you go, dear listener. That is going to be our next film. Take a look at it. Take a look at Jack Reacher. Um, come up with a suggestion for You Don't Know Jack. We haven't totally solidified the month, and we'd love to hear what you might suggest for a film with Jack in the title. And uh, in the meantime, as you're watching film, have a conversation with somebody because that's what makes watching the movies more meaningful and, frankly, lots more fun. And until then, we'll see you all next time. See me? I'm real plain and simple and direct. They call me Hot Rod. Everybody knows it. I don't have to say what I am, because I've done it. That's the difference between you and me. You talk about it, I do it. Just when they think they got the answers, I change the questions. Of course, I come out in a kilt. Someone says I'm cute, and I bury my fist down their throat. Because I am the legend destroyer. <laughs> I am the
am the man that destroyed the legend, Jimmy Snooker. You don't see no super flies around the house no more. Well, you see, I'm the one who took the man out of Hulk Hogan and boxed I am the champion. You saw me. You saw me win, didn't you? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Jump around. 